Good morning. This is Tina. I am reading Michelle's lecture from last week, from November 17th, that uh, she gave to the Insight for Women Bible Study that unfortunately didn't record correctly. So I'm going to read her lecture now, preferably, uh, hopefully, God will give me the grace to do it anywhere near as well as she did last Thursday. So here we go. This is Genesis uh, chapters 20 and 21. Um, we're going to start with a small prayer that asks the Lord for our eyes to be opened, our ears to be opened, so that we may hear his message and that we will apply all that he wants us to hear to our lives that we walk on a daily basis. And I thank you, dear spirit, in your, uh, Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever you study the Gospels, you find that the disciples of Jesus were a bit slow. When it comes to grasping, uh, especially a spiritual truths, after Jesus fed 5,000 plus people, it wasn't long after, after that miracle that they were faced with the same situation. And those apostles seemed clueless about what to do, to, about these hung, to do with these hungry people. Now, if we're honest, we must admit that we are much the same when it comes to grasping spiritual truths and applying them to how we live. How many times has God brought you through a difficult situation and you have had your faith stretched and then when faced with the same test again, you seem to have forgotten all that you have learned the first time? How many times have you struggled with the sin of worry over money matters or health issues? Is there a conflict and you have never seen God provide and you have seen God in the past Provide for your needs as a loving father. Then a new situation arises and once again the sin of worry starts to dominate how you think. Abraham was a believer but he struggled with uh, sin just like all of us. Often as we grow in our faith we take three steps forward and two steps back. In our study today, we see the failure of Abraham to trust the Lord to protect him. And in the state of being fearful, he resorts to the sin of lying and again puts his wife in danger to save his own skin. I don't think we should be so amazed at this because we have all done the exact same thing when we have failed to trust the Lord in our circumstances. How often we let fear consume us and we come up with our own solution to protect our well-being. Our fear and worry is a wicked sin and it's a slap in the face of God. I remind you that living is, faith is living without scheming. As one commentator put it, this story is one of Pilgrim's regress remarking that's instead of Pilgrim's Progress. However, we can take great comfort in the truth that God was still faithful to Abraham. He did not abandon him as he lied and became a terrible example to a pagan king. As Moses pens these words, we must remember this is written for the instruction of Israel as they prepare to enter and conquer the land promised to them. 
We know it was written for us as well because everything recorded in Scripture is for our instruction. So as we, per we may persevere and we may have hope. God is, we can see that God is faithful even when Abraham is deceptive. And this is in chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. In these verses, we can see that God in his sovereignty protects Sarah in verses 1 to 7. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of Negev, and he settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned to Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gehar, uh, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night, and he said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman who you have taken, for she's married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, and you and all who are yours. Now, we read in verse 1 that Abraham has moved from the area of Hebron, which is southwest to Negev which is uh, in the south country. He settled in a place called Gerar, around 60 miles of travel. Now there is no explanation given as to why he moved on. Maybe he needed new pasture land for his many flocks. Maybe he wanted to leave the area where he could see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Or maybe there were problems going on with conflicts around him. Regardless of the reason he moved, we read that he settled in Gerar, which was a Philistine city near the border of Egypt. This people group, known as Philistines, became Israel's greatest enemy. They were descendants of Noah's son Ham, who had settled along the Mediterranean Sea. The word Palestine comes from the name Palestine, Philistine. However, when Abraham came to this land, there were no conflicts. But in his observation of the, this people, he realized that they were a pagan people with no fear of the true God. Abraham's old fears began to kick in as he thought they might kill him in order to take Sarah into, it, into the king's harem. One might think that he would have had a flashback as to what happened many years prior when he faced a similar circumstance. But Abraham struggled with sin, just like we do, and for some reason he felt it was in such, he was in such a dangerous situation that he had to come up with a solution to protect himself instead of trusting God for that protection. 
In verse 2, Abraham's solution is the same scheme he had tried down in Egypt. The king of Gerar was called Abimelech, which was a title rather than a name, much like the word Pharaoh. Abraham lies and says that Sarah is his sister, not his wife, all because he is afraid that Abimelech might kill him and take Sarah as his wife. Twenty-five years had passed since Abraham had done this, this very same plan in Egypt, and apparently his memory failed him. Or he just believed that this was somehow a different situation and that it was just too difficult for God to handle. Therefore, he came up with a way to ensure his own safety. One has to wonder why Abimelech would even care about taking a 90-year-old woman into his harem. It might have been because he wanted to form an alliance with a wealthy chieftain, Abraham. Or Sarah was an exceptionally beautiful woman that had aged really well. Or in God making her able to conceive, he rejuvenated her both inside and out. For whatever reason, Abimelech wanted Sarah. And in verse 3, we read that he took her into his harem to be his wife. This was customary in those days, as we have seen before. There is a great danger with this whole situation that would have directly impacted you and me if God had not intervened. For, Abimelech, for if Abimelech had taken Sarah as his wife, then Isaac wouldn't have been born, then the Jewish line would not have been continued, and so Jesus would not have been born through this promised line and be our Savior. The integrity of God is at stake here, is at much at stake here, as God has made pro, uh, specific promises to Abraham that must be kept. Therefore God, who is, so, who is the sovereign one, and protects Sarah, when her own husband seemed to have no thought for her safety or for God's promises. We see the intervention of God in verses 3 to 7. God came to Abimelech at night in a dream, which is often how he communicated with pagans in the Old Testament. He revealed to him that Sarah was actually Abraham's wife, and if he didn't return her to her husband, he was a dead man. It appears that God had already afflicted Abimelech with some kind of illness, because we read in verse 6 that God prevented him from physically touching Sarah. We also read in verse 7 that Abraham prayed for the healing of Abimelech and God healed him. God also made it possible for the women of his household to get pregnant again. Verse 4, we see that Abimelech responds to God by saying he was not aware of her being married and God acknowledges that. And he tells him that is why he prevented Abimelech from having sexual relations with Sarah. Now that the king knew the truth, he is to return her to her husband or else he will die. Isn't it amazing that in spite of Abraham's sin, his sin of fear and worry and self-centeredness, God intervened and protected Sarah from being violated. God will keep his promise to Abraham and his descendants no matter what. In this case, God inflicted this king with some disease in order to protect Sarah, 
who went along with Abraham's lie. And she finds herself in a very stressful situation. This story ought to bring us some comfort because we see that God sovereignly intervenes and restrains evil from harming Sarah. He never changes and still makes sure that his plans are carried out today. We read in verse 6 that it was God who hindered Abimelech and kept him from touching Sarah. I think one of the great joys in heaven will be to learn of all the times that God intervened in our life and protected us when we had no idea we were even in danger. And the amazing thing is that God protected his own even when they were disobedient and when they had failed to trust him. There are probably countless times that we have forgotten ourselves, we have gotten ourselves into a difficult spot because of our sin. Yet in mercy, he still rescues us. I remind you in the case of Job that God allowed Satan the freedom to inflict suffering on that man. But God was still in control and Satan had limits. He had boundaries of what he could and could not do to him. God is sovereign in keeping evil from harming us, as well as allowing suffering for his purposes. Sarah and Abraham had sinned when they lied, and because of this, they were in a terrible predicament. But God faithfully preserved them in spite of themselves, and he kept his promises to them. We need to remember the same is true for us. He is faithful. He will do whatever it takes to fulfill his plan for you in your life. That doesn't excuse our responsibility to live a life of faith and one of obedience, but it is a comfort to know that God loves his own and is able to work things all out all together for his good. We see in verses 8 to 16 that God demonstrates his kindness and love. Verse 8, so Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abimelech said, Because I thought surely there was no fear of God in this place, and they, kill, they would kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came about, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Now Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is, there, is before you. Settle wherever you please. So to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. 
Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, and before all men you are before all men you are cleared. You can imagine that Abimelech was up early in that morning. He called together all of his servants and told them about the situation, and they were all afraid. In verses 9 and 10, Abimelech called for Abraham and then rebukes him for what he has done in lying to him. As the king asks questions to Abraham, he truly wants to know why the king asks as the king asks questions to Abraham, he truly wants to know why he would put Abimelech's life in such danger. God uses this pagan king to rebuke Abraham concerning his skin of lies, his sin of lying and practicing deceit. Hebrews 12 verses 5 to 11 tell us that God disciplines us as a loving father. He does not let his own children get away with sin. He disciplines us, and in the case of Abraham, he used a pagan man to rebuke him, to correct him. We see this throughout the Old Testament with Israel, as God used pagan kings and nations to discipline them for their disobedience. I don't know if God is correcting you through someone. Maybe a spouse or a friend has spoken to you about a sinful attitude. Or worse, yet an unbeliever rebukes you for a behavior that never should be in a believer's life. Only a loving father takes the time and effort to discipline his child. It shows that you are truly his child. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. God does not allow his children to sin successfully. God does not allow his children to sin successfully. We will not get away with our sin if we are truly a child of God. He loves us too much not to deal with us in discipline. And I love what Elizabeth Prentice says in her stories of sepping heavenward. I'm constantly praying that my pride may be humbled, and then when it is attacked, I shrink from the pain the blow causes, and I am angry with the hand that afflicts us. You see, in verses 11 to 13, as this pagan king rebukes Abraham, he tries to explain that he thought there was no fear of God in this place, and technically Sarah is his half-sister. Well, yada, yada, yada. This whole lying scheme had been something that Abraham and Sarah had agreed upon. They had agreed upon this years ago, that they should they ever become in such danger. We've talked about Abraham in the progression of God growing his faith, and truly from a human perspective, we would think he would have trusted God in this situation. We have seen how he trusted God to give him a son, to give him the land that many, uh, with many descendants, and even a becoming savior. But his weakening in faith seemed to be trusting God to protect his life from pagan kings. How much alike are we when we trust God to save us eternally? We believe his word is absolutely true, and yet when his faith struggle with finances, children, or a marriage, we decide we have to figure out a solution instead of believing God who works, all, works out all things for his glory. 
We do exactly what Abraham did. We lean on our own understanding. We rationalize why our solution must be in God's will. Now, Abraham recognized that Gerar was such a potentially dangerous place, and he decided he'd better take care of himself and come up with a plan for his own protection. But what about Sarah's safety? What about being an example to his employees and to his family? But in spite of his failure, God protected him, he and Sarah, and continued to be faithful to him. Now, in verses 14 to 18, we see God shows mercy and grace to Abraham. Sarah is returned safely to Abraham. More servants and more animals are given to Abraham, as well as a thousand pieces of silver. <coughs> no doubt, this was compensation for any damages that might have been caused. The silver was to clear Sarah's name from suspicion that people might ha have uh, that people might so it was to clear Sarah's name from sus suspicion people might have that her honor so her honor would be was restored it would have been terrible for people to wonder if she had been intimate had been intimate with Abimelech and conceived a child with him verse 17 here we see that God calls Abraham a prophet a spokesman for God Abraham then prays for the healing of Abimelech as well as the womb of the women in his family to be opened again. No doubt this prayer was given after Abraham repented of his own sinful behavior of lying. You see, God shows mercy. God gives grace. His undeserved favor in spite of Abraham's failure. God's goodness to us actually is an incentive not to sin. Sin always has consequences and it always hurts the testimony of God to a sinful world. We can find comfort in God's faithfulness to us, but it is never a reason to think we can sin and get away with it. Be sure your sin will find you out. What a terrible example Abraham was as a follower of the one true God when he himself practiced deception due to fear. Now we move on to a new chapter where we again learn of the kindness and faithfulness of God. In chapter 21, we see three attributes of God revealed. There is God's faithfulness in verses 1 to 4, starting with verse 1. Then God took note of Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and at the appointed time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of, God, of, his, the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, bore to him, Isaac. When Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. The day of promise has finally has finally been fulfilled as we read after all these years of waiting at the last, the last, at last, the promised son of Isaac is born. The Lord did for Sarah as he promised. He noticed it, it you notice that it is the appointed time that God had planned that all this happened. 
God is a God of truth. He cannot lie. Just like he kept his promise to Abraham, we can take comfort that the truths given to believers are all true, and we can depend on God to keep his promises. His timetable is perfect. He has a precise schedule, and though it had been 25 years of waiting and Sarah and Abraham had been impatient and taken matters into their own hands to help God along, it was God who had it all planned. He wanted Isaac to be a miracle, a testimony to the power and the work of God. And how often does God do the same thing with us? After we exhausted all of our own plans and finally come to the end of ourselves, and trust him. He accomplishes what we are unable to do in ourselves. He is then glorified. So when you struggle with waiting on God to answer your prayers or to bring a solution to your problem, remember that he is all-powerful, he is good, he has a plan, and a timetable that may be different than ours. We can trust him to fulfill his word. In verses 3 and 4, Abraham responds to God's faithfulness to him by obeying what God had told him to do. He named his son Isaac, and he circumcised him the eighth day of his life. Both of these things had been commanded for Abraham to obey, and he did. We've seen the character of God in being faithful, and now we see another reality about God and his attributes. It's his power seen in verses 5 to 7. Verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old and his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So we read that Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when, Abraham, when Isaac was born. Sarah had laughed and thought others would laugh with them when they saw a 90-year-old woman nursing her own child. There, there was so much joy in their hearts. God had done the impossible. And we are reminded of this same story that, that as long as we are alive in this life, Regardless of our age, we are never too old for God to use us. Never think that you are too old to be used by the Lord, to accomplish work for him. The aged should not see life as waiting to die, but rather as an opportunity to serve him, in whatever capacity, as long as he gives us breath. I remind you that Paul said the Lord made clear to him that his power is perfected in our weakness. We also see the grace of God in verses 8 to 19. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah now turns to Hagar. Now... Sarah, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be heir with my son Isaac. 
The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you to do, listen to her. For though Isaac, your descendants shall be named, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of maid, I will make him a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham arose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and he gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder. He gave her the boy, and he sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, I do, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up, and lifted up her voice, and she wept. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do you not do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him up by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. We have now seen how faithful and powerful God is. And here we see the grace of God in verses 8 to 19. In this very happy time of birth of Isaac, there was no doubt one young man who was not happy at all. For 13 years he had been the only son, the one who thought he would inherit all of his fa from his father Abraham. Now that Isaac was born, Ishmael resents him. His anger comes to the surface, and when a feast is made to celebrate the fact that Isaac is weaned when he's probably two to three years old, we read in Galatians 4.29 that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. He ridiculed him, and he mocked him, and this action was seen by Sarah. She realized that these two could not continue to dwell together, so she demands that Abraham send Hagar and Ishmael away. But Abraham loved Ishmael, and he didn't want to do this, but God tells him to do as Sarah had requested. Galatians 4 uses this story to illustrate salvation by grace and not by works. There has been and always will be a conflict between grace and works. Paul also uses this same passage as an illustration in Romans 9, verses 6 to 9. This is to teach us salvation is based on God's grace. Isaac and Ishmael is, illustrate this point as they were both physical descendants of Abraham, but God, by his sovereign grace, had chosen Isaac, not Ishmael, to be in the line through which the Abrahamic covenants would come. Isaac didn't deserve it. It's a work of God's sovereign grace. Just as he chose to open the eyes of an unbeliever to bring him to salvation, it is all a work of God's grace. How painful it was for Abraham to obey God in this situation. Abraham did what was personally so painful to him, obeying God even when it was difficult. Sometimes obeying God hurts. 
Do you obey his word even when it brings you personal pain? Are you willing to obey him regardless of how hard it may be for you? Abraham did the very hard thing of sending Hagar and Ishmael away. And he would no longer provide for him and take care of his son. He had to trust God to be faithful to the promises he had made to his son Ishmael. He would no longer share day-to-day life with his 13-year-old son. God would provide for Hagar and her son. So Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away with bread and a supply of water. We're not told that Abraham provided anything else for them, so he must have believed God's word that God would indeed make a great nation from his son Ishmael, providing providing for him to grow up and do so. Certainly they were sent with enough supplies to get them to the next settlement, but apparently they became lost and they wandered around just in circles. The water ran out and Ishmael was becoming dehydrated and in need of both food and water. He falls down and his mother makes sure he is under the protection of a shrub for shade from the intense heat. Hagar stumbles away and begins to weep as she prays. Ishmael cries out to the Lord as well as they both have come to the end of themselves. The pre-incarnate Christ who had come to Hagar years earlier comes to her again and he assures her that he has heard their prayers. Just as he had promised years earlier, he would take care of them and make them a great na- and make a great nation from her son. He provided water for them immediately and he safely reached and he safely reached adulthood as a gifted archer. Hagar got a wife for him from Egypt. He had 12 sons. God kept his promise. This chapter closes out with a story concerning Abraham and Abimelech. Abraham makes a covenant with Abimelech, verses 22 to 34. How to be a peacemaker with your unbelieving neighbors. Now, in in lieu of time, I'm not going to read all of the verses between 22 and 34. But we are going to um, read we are going to work on the application of this and what it actually talks about it. Abimelech and his army commander came to Abraham. This is around four years after Abraham had lied to Abimelech. It is likely the same man, and he has observed that God had blessed Abraham, and so he wants to be on the same side as Abraham. He wants a peace treaty because he knew that God is with you in all you do. He knew that there was something different about Abraham and God and the God Abraham served. Even though Abraham had hurt his testimony in the past by lying, he now seems to have a good testimony. We are to be light in the dark world. Israel was to be light in the, to the Gentile people around them. Now, in Abraham is truthful in the verses we see from 24 to 31. He swears or makes a covenant to be at peace with this king. However, before he goes ahead with the covenant, 
Abraham gives a great lesson in good communication skills and how to resolve conflicts. In an area where water is critical for survival, Abraham had dug a well, and the people under Abimelech had strongly take, wrongly taken over this well. The matter was cleared, and the truth was clearly spoken, a situation that Abimelech knew nothing about. It was brought up in the light. How often we assume somebody knows about a wrong done, when in reality they know nothing about it. It is so easy to assume that things are not actually true. This matter was then able to be cleared up and they could enter into this covenant. The covenant was sealed by the sacrifice of animals and a gift of seven lambs from Abraham to Abimelech. Abraham spoke the truth. The conflict was resolved and we learn from this that there must be truthfulness and communication if we are to be at peace with people. Ephesians 4, 15 and 25 reminds us to speak truth, but speak it in love. You cannot be at peace with people in your life if you refuse to obey God's word and speak truth in love. Conflicts spring up everywhere in homes, marriages, churches, and even at work. Problems cannot be solved unless you first get the problem to be known by speaking the truth. How often people speak to others about someone, what someone has done, yet fail to speak to the one responsible for the struggle. Peace only comes when a conflict is resolved, not when it's ignored, swept under the rug, or only spoken of uh, by those who are not part of the solution or the, or the problem, even the problem. The New Testament has countless passages telling us how to resolve conflicts biblically. Matthew 18, 15, 1 John 1, verses 5 to 7, Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and as his followers, we are able to admire this attribute and to seek to, pre and seek to preserve peace and to be a peacemaker. It requires dealing with your own sinful responses and then speaking truth to the person you are having the conflict with. It involves forgiveness as well. In verses 32 to 34, God is seen as one who sustains. This place was called Beersheba, which means well of oath. Abraham planted a tree as a landmark that indicated God's provision to sustain him. For the first time, Abraham calls the Lord the everlasting God. Abraham believed the reality that God is everlasting, that he is unchanging, and that he is eternal, and would continue to sustain him throughout his life and even beyond. It is God alone who makes it possible to be at peace with people, and that can only happen when we are at peace with him. Because we, are, because we are in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When we let him rule our lives, he alone gives us peace. He alone enables us to live at peace with others as we obey his word. Proverbs 16, 7. 
When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now we have seen some application here. We've seen first we, the importance of keeping a good testimony, not coming up with man-made solutions to our problems. Our sin is always a disgrace to God, and it impacts others far beyond what we can even imagine. God is faithful. As the second thing we can see, God is faithful even when we are faith, uh, faithless. This ought to bring us great comfort and motivate us not to sin against such grace and mercy. We also see that we can trust God for his timing to be perfect, even when it is different than ours. He always keeps his promise. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. And he gives grace and strength for us to obey him, even when it causes us personal pain. Now, we need to grow in our communication skills and resolve conflicts by speaking truth. Let us pray for all these things to, to come to fruition. Lord, may these words bear strong imprint upon our hearts and may we take them into our life as a way to walk forward. And so that walking forward, may we honor and glorify you. And all of this we pray in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>